Welcome back to the Southern Unsolved Mystery Series. Thus far, we have covered unsolved cold cases from Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Alabama. If you have missed any of those episodes, you can find them in the Unsolved Mysteries playlist on my channel. In this episode, we'll be covering some truly tragic and unfortunately unsolved cold cases from the state of Virginia. In this series, it is my goal to find lesser known and lesser covered cases and bring them to the light here in the swamp. As always, if you have a case that you would like me to check out, whether it be from the South or anywhere else in the world, be sure to leave a comment or submit any suggestions at swampdweller.net. Before I get into these cases though, I wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you to everyone who has supported this series so far. I am always amazed at the response you guys have to these cases. I really do appreciate how respectful everyone seems to be towards these tragedies. Thank you again. The Commonwealth of Virginia is a state full of history, being the focal point of the French and Indian War, the American Revolution, the Civil War, and even the Cold War, which was surprising to me as I did not know that before I looked into the state for this video. It is the 35th largest state in the country and boasts a population of around 8.6 million residents. Enough background though. Let us get into these tragic, unsolved cold cases from Virginia. Number 1. The Case of Shane Ryan Donahue This first story is a terribly sad one that comes from Noakesville, Virginia. Noakesville is an interesting town as it is a census-designated place, which is essentially a town used for population growth and development purposes by the government. This is a small town with about 1,400 residents calling the Prince William County Settlement home. For this case, we need to jump back to March 22, 2010. Shane Donahue was living in Noakesville on the 12,000 block of Aiden Road. At the time, Shane was leaving his parents on the 14,000 block of Aiden Road. In the mid-afternoon of March 22, 2010, Shane was seen leaving his parents' home with a friend named Sean Hickerson. They had left in a Hickerson Brothers electric box truck. Before I go any further, the reason I call this case sad is not just because of the obvious tragedy that occurred, but I genuinely feel this case could be solved, but for whatever reason, it just has not been. Getting back on track, that day Shane had been paid $5,000 for work he had done. He had apparently paid Sean Hickerson $1,000 for the help he had provided. Sean Hickerson would end up being sent to prison for burglarizing two local gun shops. He is the last person known to have had contact with Shane Donahue. He was of course a person of high interest, but has never been charged. At the time of Shane's disappearance, he had no access to his vehicle and got rides from friends quite often. Shane's cell phone was turned off the same day he went missing. Shane Donahue does have ties to Northern Virginia, Washington DC, and Maryland. Shane is a Caucasian male standing at around 5'11 and weighing roughly around 180 pounds. He was just 23 years old at the time of his disappearance but would be about 34 now. Shane has brown hair, brown eyes, and wore eyeglasses most of the time. Shane was often called Bubba by his mother and has two siblings. Shane had dinner with his parents almost every night and called them every single day. Shane's mother Donna was not only battling breast cancer but was also dealing with colon cancer at the same time. 
it would be very uncharacteristic of Shane to simply just disappear. Shane had a loving family, but they have gone on record to mention Shane did have a bit of a bumpy past. Shane was convicted twice for possession of marijuana. He also had a roommate at one point who was busted for dealing drugs, and many think Shane may have been a low-level dealer of sorts himself. Personally, I'm not leaning toward a drug-related disappearance. During the investigation, officials found no trace of blood in his duplex. His parents paid for cadaver dogs and searches were made all over Noakesville. Nothing was ever found, though. In April of 2013, police searched Shane's home again and emptied a septic tank, but nothing was found. There has been no activity on Shane's bank account and nothing from his phone. What truly happened to Shane Donahue? Do you think Sean Hickerson has something to do with it, or at the very least has some sort of information? Did Shane just decide to skip town one day? Without evidence of what happened, we may never know. I just hope this case does not remain cold, as I really do think it can be solved. If you, or anyone you may know, have any information as to what happened to Shane Donahue, please contact Prince William County Police Department, 763-792-7279. Number 2. The Unsolved Disappearance of Carol Ann Smith This next case comes from Roanoke, Virginia, the infamous Roanoke from the Missing Colony Stories. This area is a rather large one these days, with somewhere around 100,000 residents. Jumping back to the summer of 1994, Carol Ann Smith was home alone while her husband David Smith was on a business trip. When David returned, he claimed to have found a pair of boxer shorts that were not his and began to think Carol was having an affair. On June 5th, David apparently decided to try and speak with her about it, but she was refusing to discuss it. On June 6, 1994, Carol was seen watering her flowers in the early morning around 7.15 a.m. Before we go any further, this would be the last time anyone outside of David would see Carol alive and well. Sometime around 8 a.m. after the couple's two children left for school, David attempted to talk to her about it again. According to David Smith, Carol made a phone call, and around two minutes later, a green, full-sized car with a male driver pulled up to the house. The make of the car could not be made out, but was simply described as American-made by David. Apparently, Carol had taken a small bag of clothing and a large sum of money in cash and left in the green car, saying, You don't have to worry about me, as she left. She has never been heard from again. This case bothers me because everything after Carol watering her flowers in the morning is all from David's perspective, and he seemed to have reasons to stretch the truth. David will go on to say he had no idea who the driver of the car was and had never seen him before. What makes David more suspicious is that Carol was not reported as missing for nearly five weeks when Carol's sister could not get in touch with her for weeks. I understand why David may not have reported it to police if his story is true, but to not say anything to her family or your own family is a bit strange. Furthermore, David Smith filed for divorce just one month after her disappearance. In the court documents, which are public record, he stated he did not report his wife missing because he figured she would return and did not want to tell her parents she was gone. That does not make much sense to me, but I'm not the only one who finds that story just a bit strange. Carol's sister would question why Carol never spoke about any affair 
as they were remarkably close and told each other a lot. Investigators also do not believe she left on her own accord. She had incredibly strong ties with her family, friends, and community. There has not been a single trace of her since she went missing. No activity has been posted from her bank account. She has been described as a loving, dedicated mother who would never abandon her children. A handful of searches have been held and David even gave permission to the police to search his house and truck. They even dug up a recently poured concrete patio that would ultimately find nothing. Officials also dug up an area behind David's work, but also found nothing of note. The story of what happened to Carol Ann Smith remains unsolved. If you, or anyone you may know, have any information that could help further this case, please contact Roanoke County Police Department, 540-562-3265. Number 3. The Strange Vanishing of Doris Fay Lentz This last case comes from Arlington County, Virginia. We once again are jumping back to the 90s, specifically April 23, 1996. Doris Faye Lentz left her home around 7 p.m. as she was on her way to pick up her child from her recently estranged husband's home, J.E. Lentz. Jay lived in a nearby town called Fort Washington, Maryland at the time. I believe this is roughly a 20-mile drive from Doris's home. Unfortunately, though, Doris would never apparently arrive at Jay's home. Doris drives a dark teal 1994 Toyota Celica, which was found abandoned multiple days after she was last heard from. The images are rough, but they are authentic crime scene photos of the car. Her car was found on Livingston Road in an apartment complex parking lot. This is a known area with high crime rates in Washington, D.C. The car was horrifyingly covered in blood, Doris's keys, credit cards, cash, and other valuables were all still inside. Her purse was also in full view for anyone to see. There was no sign of Doris, though. Earlier in the month, Doris and Jay were in a bitter divorce. She filed several police reports on Jay before moving out of his home. Doris would consistently claim Jay was abusive and harassed her. Oddly enough, the court hearing for the couple's divorce was on April 24, 1996, the day after Doris went missing. Doris was awarded primary custody and Jay apparently owed Doris a rather large amount in back alimony payments. Jay claimed to have never seen his wife that day. Investigators learned that Jay had sent their child to his mother's house before Doris got to his home, which is odd as she was only there to pick the child up. Investigators do not believe Jay informed Doris of this. Jay moved to Indiana with their child in October 1996 just six months after Doris went missing. Now, before I get into some rather interesting court proceedings, I want to say I really wanted to share this story because in my opinion, it shows how justice can be muddied by a broken legal system. In May of 2001, Jay was arrested in connection to the disappearance of Doris Lentz. In August 2001, he would be charged for her kidnapping and causing her death. Jay Lentz always claimed that he was innocent though, he would be convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole in June of 2003. This case may sound like it's open and closed, but it really is not that simple. For some reason, in July of 2003, the trial judge took an odd stance and threw out the jury's verdict and acquitted Jay. 
The judge went on record to say, there was a lack of physical evidence linking Jay to Doris's presumed murder and questioned if they even saw each other that day. The judge would go on to say that even if Doris was murdered, there was no evidence she was held against her will at any time, which is an essential element in a kidnapping case. This does not end here though. It gets even more strange. In September 2004, a court of appeals called for a new trial to be conducted for Jay, claiming the trial judge was wrong to overturn a jury-given verdict. Jay would once again be convicted in March of 2006. This case may have been settled in court, but it still remains unsolved. Doris has never been located. The details as to what happened to her have never been disclosed. Doris worked as a receptionist for the former Tennessee Senator and the United States Ambassador to China, James Sasser. Jay was a former Naval Intelligence Officer. I only mention this as many speculate that this may have been connected to the case, but I personally do not think so. If anyone you know have any information that can help the Arlington County Police Department find the remains of Doris Lentz, please contact them at 703-228-4183. Thanks for tuning in to the most recent episode of the Southern Unsolved Mysteries series. These cases are truly depressing, and they can be a bit heavy to look into, and sometimes it just weighs on my mind at night thinking of why some of these cases aren't solved even though they seem so straightforward. But as I have learned with these kind of cases and with just crime in general, nothing is ever really as straightforward as it seems. If you enjoyed this video and would like to help this video reach more people, please hit that like button as YouTube promotes it more, the more likes it gets. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or some sort of other podcast platform, please give this a 5-star rating as it truly helps us reach more people. The more eyes we can get on these cases, the absolute better. If you have a story of your own or a case that you would like to recommend for a future episode, be sure to submit those at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new video, as I upload them almost every single day and all things natural and supernatural. I'd love to know in the comments down below what your thoughts were on these cases. I'd also love to know what other states you'd like to see me cover. I think next we're probably going to cover Kentucky. So, if you have any Kentucky cases you'd like me to look into, comment them down below. I'd very much appreciate it. If you guys would like to support the channel outside of hitting that like button and subscribing, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, face masks, hoodies, and much more. I'd love to see you wearing some cool swamp threads. If you're not aware, you can download your favorite scary stories from the swamp, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast absolutely free. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the swamp the way you do. I'll see you soon with another creepy video.